You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. So, uh, yeah, second week of our God Is series going through the letters of John. We have got... Let's reset my timer. Otherwise, we'll be here for who knows how long. I won't because I didn't start my timer. Uh, All right, so we are in the second week of this... um, which is kind of, uh, last week was kind of a little bit of an intro that Rob did. Um, just for a quick review, some of the key concepts that we're going to want to hold on to, uh, not only today, but as we're moving through the series, uh, false doctrines of Gnosticism. Rob talked last week that John is addressing this, this problem of Gnosticism in this church that he's writing these letters to. I think I've got, let's throw up that first slide there. Yeah. Gnosticism. Okay, so we had, uh, it combined Greek and Oriental thought. It was, uh, they believed that salvation from material existence came through gnosis or knowledge. Uh, if if through, through the proper knowing of things, you were liberated from material existence, from suffering, from pain, from stuff, right? You were made spiritual. Um, each group claimed to exclusively possess the necessary knowledge. So you had these people that, well, I've got the secret sauce, right? Like, I know the proper way to do things. All right, and so you got these factions of people, and this is the Gnosticism, is believing that your faction had the necessary knowledge that nobody else had. You had the secret stuff. They believed that the world was created by a lesser deity, which... That gets a little weird, uh, but they had some weird ideas on that. And then uh, Gnostics believed that they were incapable of committing real sins. They believed that they were liberated because they're liberated from material existence. They couldn't actually commit real sins, which sounds like a really convenient, like wild card in Uno, like can't commit real sins. I can do whatever I want now. It's a pretty easy card to play, right? Cool. So, uh, so that was Gnosticism, and John is addressing that. So we're going to see some of that today. Uh, and the second thing, let's throw up that next one, is all of these stark contrasts that we see in the books or in the letters of John. He likes to use these really stark back and forth contrasts, and we're going to see a lot of that today. Uh, specifically, we're going to see a lot of light and dark. So sermon today is God is light. Shocker. We're going to talk about that stark contrast. So. We'll keep those in mind, uh, and a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of this. This sermon is going to be ridiculously pointless if you don't listen to it with a mindset, or, or, or if you listen to it without the mindset of projecting what John is saying onto somebody else, right? So if I'm, if I'm listening, did I say that right? I said that backwards. If I'm listening to this, and I'm listening to what John is saying, and I'm projecting it onto, oh yeah, Dave definitely needs to hear, I'm sorry, I just picked a name, but you're sitting right in front of me, so Dave gets picked on, sorry. Uh, it was him or Bob. Those are my two go-to names. And we have a Bob and a Dave. This is terrible. Uh, I need to find a new name. Um, anyway, so Dave, Dave really needs to hear what John is saying. Cause I can see Dave really, really screws that up. Yeah. 
that's not what we want to do. We want to listen to John's letter. We want to listen to this and we want to, we want to be introspective and that is not easy to do. But if you don't do that, then well, lunch will be delicious. All right. So let's dive in. God is light. What the heck does that mean? Is that uh, some futuristic new age description of how God is energy and thus everything in existence, man? No, probably not. Probably not. That's probably not what John is talking about. Uh, Perhaps we'll we'll nerd out here with my dad. Uh, It's an explanation of how God can exist in multiple states as one uh, multiple states at once, just as light can behave as a particle and a wave at the same time. Right? It's like a, a Trinity analogy except for Donald and Connell will have something to say about that, Patrick. Um, Oh, Patrick. That's, I feel like modalism probably revisited. Anyway, so uh, probably not that again. Uh, Or perhaps, perhaps what God, uh, what John is doing here is that he is using imagery that will help his reader wrap their brains around who God is. That seems a little bit more like it. So let's dive into the text. Let's see what this imagery is. Uh, First John one, five through 10 is where we're going to start. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, John sets up a stark contrast here between light and darkness. Let's throw up that next graphic. Uh, Next slide. Maybe, maybe. Oh, we'll get there in a second. Maybe. Anitra, can we go to the next one? Is it frozen? We can't. Oh, well, that's a problem. It's the one time I didn't put it in my notes. All right, so we'll go, we'll go sans notes here until they figure this out in there. Uh, Josh, do you want to see if they need help with something? Um, So in this message, uh, we have heard him proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So in him, uh, did I just not put it in there? It's in the graphics folder if I didn't. Maybe I screwed up the slides. All right, so we've got light and dark. Uh, In the light category, we've got God. God is light, so we got God over there. In the dark category, there's an absence of God. Okay. Uh, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So in the, in the dark category, we've got no fellowship with God in the light category. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Oh, Hey, there we go. All right. So we got fellowship with one another. If we're in the light, that's kind of interesting. Uh, in the darkness category, we got lies and deceit over in the light category. We've got truth. John is setting these things up. Sin is associated with darkness. Being cleansed of all sin is associated with walking in the light. On the darkness category, we've got unrighteousness. 
And in the light category, we've got righteousness. He's going back and forth between these two things. He's painting a very clear image that we, we seem to drift towards. We like the light. The darkness lacks the word and the light contains the word of God. So we've got this stark contrast between these two. And this is a comparison that we're probably familiar with. Think about Star Wars. Think about Lord of the Rings. Think about, there's, there's, pick your favorite action, adventure, fantasy movie. And you've got a struggle between light and dark in many, many of these, right? The light side of the force, the dark side of the force. They're battling back and forth. Light, we associate light with being open, with being visible, with heroic righteousness, with, with goodness. But on the flip side of that, we have darkness usually has the secrecy and the hiddenness, right? Evil or wrong, crookedness. The bad guys always wear black, right? Just as humans, think about it like as a kid, you're afraid of the dark. The dark is scary and cold and full of danger, right? John is playing off of this feeling that we'll get between light and dark. He's helping create an image that we can feel, that we can connect with. John is also conveniently using phrasing and imagery here to describe things as he has used before. Let's go to John 1, 1 through 9. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We talked about this last week, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He says light, I got him highlighted here seven times in nine verses. There's a lot of light that he's using there. And of course, we know from reading this, what he's talking about, Jesus is the light. He's associating God with the word and with light. John is describing Jesus as the light. Pretty sure this is to connect with the Greco-Roman audience. I remember hearing about that at some point. We'll probably talk about that in footnotes. Maybe, maybe figure out what the heck's going on there. Um, a little, little historical context there, perhaps. But uh, the other thing is that John is establishing the deity of Christ as God incarnate, which is another uh, slap in the face of Gnosticism, right? Gnosticism would say that lesser deity, right? No, Jesus is God incarnate, in the flesh. He's not just some spiritual manifestation. He is in the flesh. John is combating this Gnosticism still. Cool. So God is light. That's pretty clear. Now what? Why do we need to know this? John continues. Chapter two. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation of our sins, not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. 
By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So it's important to note, I'll leave that one there. It's important to note that John just tied love into this mess. As we go through these letters, we, we've actually had a little bit of a struggle because it's not, it's not very linear, right? It's, it's this cyclical, like Rob talked about. He keeps looping back on these ideas. He keeps amplifying, I think was the term that we used, amplification, where he keeps coming back on these terms over and over and over. And this is, I think, the first time that love shows up. And spoiler alert, it's going to show up over and over and over again. It's a big deal. Light and love, light and love. So it's important to note that he just introduced this for the first time. Walking in the light involves love. Hold on to that. But first, let's have John deal with sin. So in uh, verses one and two, like one, he says, my children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's pretty clear pretty straightforward. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate for the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And in seven through nine, you know, he says, uh, he came as a witness or no, 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 that's wrong. Seven and nine. Sorry. Uh, he says that if we have fellowship with one another and through Jesus, he cleanses of cleanses us of all our sin. When we walk in the light, he, he, this propitiation, the NIV says atonement right? The ESV likes to use a bigger term there because they're smarter or nerdier or something. Uh, and he's an advocate for the sins if you do. So what John is doing is John is acknowledging that there is sin. He says that we don't want to sin, but he acknowledges that there is sin and he's not denying the existence of it. The opposite, in fact, he's saying that it exists. And because we need Christ to deal with this, it confirms the existence because we wouldn't want to say that God is a liar. Back in verse 10, he said, if we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God can't be a liar. It doesn't work that way. If we make God a liar, we make God a liar to say there is no sin. So he's once again, slapping down on the Gnostics. He's turning this right around on them. And, and interestingly enough, he, he does it with a lot of their own language here a little bit in, in, Verse three of chapter two, he says, we know sis because we know sis him. Basically we know him. We know him because we, or we know because we know him. We know sis because we know sis. If we keep his commands. Now this is right back in the face of the Gnostics. Again, the Gnostics were saying you can live however you want, that there is no sin, right? They're playing that free, that wild card, that get out of jail free card. And honestly, if we think about this, that might sound a little familiar to our ears in modern day. That might resonate with us a little bit. It might sound like some of what our culture says sometimes. It might be drawing us back to last week to maybe spend a little more time with last week's next step of uh, wrestling with how culture has affected your definition of who Christ is and thus what his commands are. That was a really good next step. 
we probably should just hold on to that for the whole series, honestly, because it's a, it's a good one. Just keep wrestling with that of where, where are we seeing that affecting our lives? So now that we've taken a moment to trounce on the Gnostics, well, what, what, what happens next? Where does John go? Um, well, at the end of that, John had said, walk in the same way that Christ walked. That's where we left off. He said, walk in the same way that Christ walked. Okay, so what does that look like? Conveniently, he explains. Verse 7, he says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. Okay, no new commandment. But an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, let's pull this apart a second. John points us right back to this new commandment of Christ. So if you, if you jump on Bible Hub and you do a search for new commandment, it's going to give you a passage. The passage where Christ gives a new commandment, a new commandment I give to you, is in John 13. John is once again referencing back to himself. Classy move, John. He was the fastest disciple after all. But uh, Jesus says in, in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Okay, so this is a little bit of taking the, like, we're, we're familiar with the golden rule, or, you know, do unto others, you know, love God and love others as yourself, right? Jesus says that before, and then he takes this a little bit, a little further, he gives this new commandment. It's not love one another as you love yourself. It's love one another just as I have loved you. He sets the bar. He sets the bar here. And so John is pointing back in this letter. He is calling us back. He's saying, I'm not giving you a new commandment. You already have, I don't need to rewrite. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. You have the wheel. But if you're not using it, this might sound new to you. This is not a new commandment if you're already doing it, but this is a new commandment if you are not already doing it. That's what he's saying here. And he hounds on this. He says, whoever is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Back and forth, light and dark, light and dark. If you love your brother, you're in the light. If you hate your brother, you're in the darkness. If you're in the darkness, then you're hating your brother. If you are in the light, then you're loving your brother. Like he's making a clear line in the sand of your actions are important. And you can see this playing out in your life to tell you, to gauge, to say where you're at. Cool. So we got this, follow this command. If we follow this commandment and love like a champ, then we'll be walking in the light. All right. Well, that sounds doable. And, and he goes on on here, but it, it's, there's, there's, there's a little bit of a, a hitch that we can run into. And he addresses that. 
verse 15, he addresses the problem of misplaced love. Because, you know, all you need is love is, uh, or all you need is love is, uh, it's a great song. It makes for a good tune, but it's not necessarily a good philosophy to live our lives by. It doesn't, it doesn't really work when you put it to the grindstone, when you really put it under the magnifying glass, it kind of breaks down. He addresses this here. He says, uh, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Sounds a little bit like John is combating those Gnostics again, perhaps. Because while, while the faith might, you know, the uh, knowledge is going to liberate you from material existence, seems like they still love the material existence maybe a little bit. If you want to use that get out of jail free card over and over. Oops. John is pointing out that we still have to be aware of, of what we're loving, of, of how we're loving or who or why we are loving. We, we need to be aware of what we're doing. We can't just wander around blindly. There's, this is so much self-reflection is required of this letter. We have to turn this back in on ourselves and we have to look at ourselves through this lens and ask ourselves, how are we loving? Because love is good, but we also need a little bit of truth in that. We need, we need some, clear, some clear definition, right? And, and that's oftentimes, if you've heard First John uh, preach before, a lot of times you'll, you'll get this lens of, of, of love and truth. And you have to look at things through, you know, look at love through a lens of truth and, or, or look at truth through a lens of love. And we'll, we'll get there a little bit later, but but it is clear from this that we do need to be um, discerning. We need to we we need to know what we're doing, and it's difficult because there's no easy button here. Uh, discerning the will of God, he says, whoever does the will of God, well, that means we have to be able to discern what the will of God is, because apparently some of the stuff in the world is not of God. Discerning the will of God is a muscle. We have to develop that muscle. And, and you know, just as a little side note here, um, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eye, and the pride of life, I think he just nailed the seven deadly sins and condensed them down into three and possibly everything else. Um, the desires of the eyes, like the things that I see when I covet, what that person has more than me and I desperately want that. It's not fair. I need ooh, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh. Well, mine doesn't desire the light too much because it gets sunburned, but uh, that was a bad joke. Uh, desires of the flesh and, and the pride of life. Uh, pride. I don't even, we're just going to move right along from that. Logan's never proud. It's definitely not a thing that I, I would have anything to do with. Right, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. Scott agrees. Good. Cool. Uh, he's kind of nailing us to the wall with this. There, there's no, no room to maneuver here. John is he's going with double barrels here. Okay, so if discerning the will of God is a muscle, 
How do we develop that muscle? How do you guys think we need to develop that muscle? What does that look like? We skip a little later in, in chapter two and John says, and now little children, which sounds so condescending. Hopefully Rob can redeem that. Is that next week that we get to redeem that? Okay, good. Because until then, I'm just going to feel condescended and talk down to little children. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, he being Christ, God in flesh, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now, little children, abide in him. We have to abide in God. We have to abide. We have to abide in his word. God, God was with the word and God was the word and the word was light. And we're going to walk. So we're going to walk how we, how we walk is going to look like how we abide, right? And, and getting into the word and getting to know God when you abide in something. What does that, what does that imagery pull up in your head? What does it mean to abide in something, to abide with someone. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Everyone who practices righteousness, everyone whose actions we can see, because if you're practicing righteousness, then everyone's going to be able to see that you're practicing righteousness. That's how, we're, that's how we are going to know by how we love one another. This is just, he's coming back and back and back and back and back and back on this concept of our actions matter. How do we abide on a scale of, of I was going to say one to the dude, but I don't know if, if anyone, I, Lori got that reference. One. Oh, All right, we're back. Rob said no one was going to get that one. Except for Jen and Mike, maybe. Anyway, uh, the dude, Big Lebowski, anyway. So on, on a scale of one to 10, like, how are you, how well are you abiding? How well are you abiding? What does that look like? He keeps coming back to this. Apparently it's important. Our actions matter. Which brings us to our implication. Our implication today is your conduct as a Christian matters. Your conduct as a Christian matters. Verse 2, 1. We'll come back to it again. It's just, a, it's a really good, like it's a really clear, simple verse. My little children, once again, condescending. But I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is apparently... This is his reason. This is his white hot why for why he is writing these things. So that you may not sin. This is apparently important. This is knowing to, 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 to contrast it with the, the Gnostics, right? Knowing, knowing is important. Knowing is important, but knowing's God, knowing God's truth means nothing if it doesn't change how you live. If it's not going to affect how I live, then knowing God's truth means nothing. Like it's really doesn't have a lot of point. If I'm content to live in the darkness, 
then it, what good is knowing? I just know that it's dark, which is probably scarier, probably worse, probably feels a little worse. If I'm content to just leave those areas in my life that I don't want to let God touch, that I don't want to redeem, that I don't want to acknowledge because I'm content to let those lie there, my pride or whatever the case may be, the lust of the flesh, the lust, the desires of the eyes, right? Whatever I don't want to let go of there. If I, it, knowing doesn't really do me any good. The actions have to mas- match up with it. If it doesn't change how I live, knowing doesn't do any good. Knowing God's truth means nothing without love. He's tied love into this and it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Our actions and love have to go hand in hand. They have to be working together in tandem. Knowing God's truth means nothing if I'm not going to love my neighbor as Christ loved me. And that love, that love has to show up in our actions. It has to. So our conduct as Christians matters. So let's pull some next steps. What's, what's some tangible things that we can do? And conveniently, we pulled these straight out of the text this week, pretty much. We were like, like what do we do with this? What, what do we tangibly bring this down? Well, first one is invest in community where confession is normal and healthy. He says, live in the light. In 170 says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He comes back over and over and over again, right? Walk in the light. We want to be in the light as he is in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heaven. I'm going to break into a DC talk song. Be in the light. Josh got me. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. Did you guys catch that? It was a a little little wonky because our our, our graphic, I think I screwed that up. Uh, but the, uh, what John does here is he substitutes fellowship with others for fellowship with God, right? He said, if you're, uh, Anitra, pull up, I got, I got a confused look there. So we're going to go back to it. Uh, pull up the first passage, uh, first John five through 10. Uh, we'll find verse seven in here. Uh, no, 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 no. Verse six. All right. If we say we have fellowship with him, God, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There's no fellowship with God in the darkness. So in the darkness, there is no fellowship with God. The next verse, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. He's juxtaposing these two darkness versus light. But he says in one, he says, fellowship with God or the the absence of fellowship with God. And in the other, he says, fellowship with one another. Now, I think this was about the 30th time that I had read through because we did this for LTG. So I read that and I actually double read John those weeks because I got off and missed a week. It was, it was a whole mess. So I read a lot of John, um, read a lot of John, but this was about the 30th time that I was going through this and it finally clicked. I saw what he was doing. 
He's, he's juxtaposing these other fellowship with God and fellowship with others. And by substitution, he is trying to get us to see that they're one and the same. That by fellowship with others leads to fellowship with God and includes fellowship with God and fellowship with God includes fellowship with others. And I got a little giddy. Mike can attest. I got real super giddy and we were supposed to be talking about Isaiah, but I was like, Isaiah's boring. We're going to go back to first John. Um, that's how my LG LTG went this week. It was super great. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty stoked about that though. This is why we hound care group and LTG so much. Like this is why we beat that drum over and over and over. Why it is so important. Fellowship with others is so important. It draws us into relationship with God. This is why we talk about life transforming group because it's fellowship with others. And it's this authenticity because confession, uh, we can go back to the next step there. Uh, we need to invest in community where confession is normal and healthy. We need healthy community. We need healthy fellowship with others that is going to draw us in and allow us to pull out those places of darkness and flush them with light. We have to just flush them out. Conveniently, we added a core value part of the announcements today. Uh, I don't think I wasn't planning it, but we're like, well, we'll do authenticity first because it's the first one up. And conveniently, that one worked out. We didn't really plan it. I didn't. Did you plan that, Rob? I, I didn't plan it. Rob didn't plan it either. Do we look like a guy with a plan? I mean, I can't even get my mic to stay on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that one's all God. That's why we have this core value of authenticity. Because confession and, and understanding and, and just living authentically and this vulnerability that comes from being in the light. Because the, you can't hide, Right? The darkness is scary, but the darkness also lets us hide things. But being in the light, you, you can't hide things. They're, they're revealed. They're flesh. Like they're, they're just shown for it is what it is. So I can now see it clearly because it's illuminated. And that's a little scary at times. But it leads to that healthy fellowship. It draws us in. Draws us closer to God. It allows us to abide with him because in him there is no darkness. So we can't abide with him if we're not willing to let go of those dark, those dark places. So we need that healthy community where confession is normal, where it's healthy confession. Let's go on to our next one. <clears throat> Choose to aim for the target Christ gave you. All right, that sounds okay on the surface. Let's make it feel not good, right? He says, love as I loved. So uh, we'll use an analogy here. I like to go to the shooting range occasionally. And uh, I'll get out there with my pistol. And at about 10 yards, I can do a real good grouping. Like a little pride there, but it's a good grouping. Like they're all on the paper and they're probably going to be within that like center ring. It's, it's going to look good. Like I'm going to feel real good about that grouping, right? It's not pro level or anything, but feel good about it. That's at 10 yards. This is what it's like to love others as ourselves. For the most part, if we've been practicing 
Christianity for a while. We've been trying to follow Christ for a while, loving others as ourselves. We've been working at this for a while. We've been working on our grouping at 10 yards, right? We're probably pretty comfortable with that for the most part. We probably screw up, shank one off every once in a while. For the most part, loving others as ourselves probably is, is okay to do. We're probably pretty good at it. But Christ said to love as he loved. This is Christ who loved the broken, outcast, marginalized people. The people that make us incredibly uncomfortable to be around, right? Those outsiders. Those people that are really, really uncomfortable to be around. Christ loved them. And, and because that wouldn't be enough. And on top of that, Christ also loved the corrupt, greedy, power-hungry jerks that hung him up on a cross. Okay. So we got the outcast and the marginalized that make us ridiculously uncomfortable. And we've got the corrupt, greedy, powerful, religious Sadducees, Pharisees. Cool. Cool. Christ took that target that I was so comfortable with at 10 yards and he's thrown that thing out at like 400. Now, if I had a rifle at 10 yards, I'm going to do real well. I think I can't remember the last time I shot with a rifle at 10 yards. Maybe I'd suck at it. I don't know. I'm going to have to go out and do that anyway. But with the pistol at 10 yards, I'm good. 400 yards. I I'm going to be honest. I don't think I'm going to even touch the target. That is my little, my little Smith and Wesson is, I don't, I know it'll go that far, but I'm not sure where it'll be at when it gets there. I have no idea. Is I, I'm going to completely miss. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not practicing at that range with that, with that gun. Like I'm not, I'm not even equipped to hit something at that range. Christ to choose to aim for the target that Christ gave you. So if I'm going to aim for the target that Christ gave me, I need to equip myself and I need to practice for those distances, for that type of love. And this, the outcast and marginalized people and the corrupt, greedy people. And I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to guess that for everybody in this room, one of those two groups probably is not your favorite people. You probably identify with one of those groups unknowingly. I don't know which group I had. I'm, some, I'm not sure. I haven't really thought about that. Probably should have thought about that before I got up here with that. But it's uh, the analogy we're using. One of those groups probably is not your favorite. And Christ is challenging you to love as he did. Because he got up on the cross. He didn't say, Father, judge them because they really wronged me. <laughs> Forgive them. For they, know what, they know not what they do. He was constantly ministering to those uncomfortable people and living with those uncomfortable people. This is the type of love that we are called to. This is what our conduct as a Christian should look like. If we're going to walk out with this authentic love that God is calling us to. If we're going to walk in the light and that, that is what God is calling us to. 
Now there's a little bit of hope because we go back to that. Christ said, you know, or John says in there, he says the propitiation, remember? He's the atonement. He's our advocate. Because I'm going to be honest, I'm never going to have a, as good a grouping on that 400-yard target. Like it's just never going to happen. But it's okay. But I should still be trying. I should still be working out those areas of darkness. I should be aiming for that target that Christ gave me. But I can also take hope and comfort in the fact that I've got an advocate that is willing to lay down his life for me. To draw me into the light. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in. how many times I can cough today. Oh, all right. Oh, that's a little, maybe down a little, down a little bit there, Gordon. We want people to be able to hear me, not feel me. Uh, Cool.